I'm Dr. Adam Jirachi. And you are listening to Love's a Secret Weapon podcast. Welcome back to Love's a Secret Weapon podcast. And today we continue delving into Chapter 10, 10 Good Reasons and more television roles for Donna. Go, Donna. Princess Colette was the next part I played in the TV series, The Monkeys. Here we come, walking down the street. Get funniest looks from everyone we meet. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys, and people say we monkey around. But we're too busy singing to put anybody down. We're just trying to be friendly. I'll come and watch sing and play. We're the young generation, and we got something to say. The episode Everywhere a Chic Chic provided me with another very campy role. This time I played with Davy Jones, teen idol. The Monkey's songs last train to Clarksville and I'm a believer were busting the charts. A new phenomenon was born by Bob Raffleson and Bert Schneider with the help of producer Don Kirshner. Their concept was to form an imaginary band, Our Answer to the Beatles. Mike, Peter, and Mickey were musicians in their own rights, but not allowed to contribute or only in a limited way to the music on the program. Davy was the American answer we had to associate with the British invasion. He did radiate charisma. During a break, I was still in costume with my midriff showing. Davy sat close to me as I ate a navel orange. It takes time to peel and divide the wedges, and while I was busy doing that, he was peeling and eyeing me. He mentioned a little freckle on my ribcage and said he wanted to nibble on it. Well, that is getting juicy. <laughs> Not only was I feeding myself a daily dose of vitamin C, but Davy was raising my libido. In the scene where Princess Colette meets Davy for the first time, the camera zoomed in real close, and I tell him... I love your hair. I love your hair. I love your eyes. I love your eyes. I love your nose. your neck. I love your neck. I love you. My handsome prince. That happens to be the most important scene of this particular episode. After the first two takes, the director, Alexander Singer, stopped and told me that I was curling my lip and doing an Elvis. Maybe maybe that was a little reaction to being a bit aroused by Davy coming on to me. Later that day, 
Davy asked me to join him at his West Hollywood apartment, and I said, okay. Driving up in my little red Corvette, I entered his apartment to a gaggle of twittering groupies. It was announced that I was there, and at once I was led into his bedroom for privacy. He greeted me by removing my hat. (laughs) He then tousled my hair and gave me a little kiss. Come and sit over here, Davy said as he gestured to the bed. I was fully dressed and had no intention of being otherwise. Uh, Davy sensed my discomfort, so he just patted the bed as if to say, Just sit down, I won't bite. I followed his invitation. He then began kissing me and we locked lips. Ouch, I said, something hurts. What did I do, Davy asked. I'm not sure, I replied but I'd better leave now. I reached for my hat and smoothed my hair. After I checked my lip, I noticed a bruise. Apparently, I had just received my first hickey by Davy Jones inside my mouth. In my quest to build my acting resume, I read for a part on a short-lived live audience show called The Mothers-in-Law. Desi Arnaz was the producer. I went to interview with him at his office at Desilu Studios in Culver City, the same location for Batman. Desi's office was inside the infamous David O. Selznick's International Pictures building. The architecture resembled Terra in Gone with the Wind. Desi had sort of a living room decor going on for an office, which I thought was really cool. The quintessential ominous desk facing a door as you enter layout was always very off-putting. Instead, he placed his desk behind a very large, comfortable sofa, basically making the desk invisible. This way, he created a relaxed environment where he could talk to you on a more casual basis. Upon entering his domain, the thought did occur to me of the old casting couch syndrome, but to my good fortune, the experience with Ricky Ricardo... Mr. Arnez was quite respectable. He was willing to embrace me in the part almost instantaneously, possibly because I had been in a movie with two of the cast members, Deborah Wally and Eve Arden. Being a live show, he would have wanted a chemistry between the actors and was probably counting on a certain familiarity to create a stronger chemistry between us. I always loved Eve Arden in her role of our Miss Brooks and thought Deborah Wally was adorable in the second Gidget. You know, we did a shower scene together in Sergeant Deadhead. The next show I was cast in was... Shazam! Gomer Pyle. I had a very sizable role and again slanted my acting toward comedy. My first glimpse of Jim Neighbors was seeing him trying to get the attention of a handsome young man who was on the set that day. I saw him beaming his eyes like headlights until they sparkled from across the soundstage. I didn't really know or care what gender he preferred. What amazed me was his effort to attract someone's attention. He really knows how to turn it on, and that's what he did with me in our scenes together. He really helped me set my rhythm by the cadence in his responses. In one scene, I had a chance to choreograph myself, making moves that would distract my overbearing parents from learning my boyfriend had paid me a secret visit. 
Jim supported my actions by being aware of every move I made, therefore adding to the humor of the scene. Tomorrow night. Yes, hurry, go. Go. Anna, Anna, where are you? Oh, Comer. Comer, huh? just sit down. Sit huh? down. Anna, Anna. Anna, Anna. Would you like some more milk, Anna? Anna, thank heaven you are all right. What's going on, Mama? What's the matter? What's everybody so excited about? When I saw you weren't in the bed, I thought heaven knows what. Oh, Mama, that's silly. I just couldn't sleep, so I came down here. And Gomez here because he couldn't sleep either. So we decided we'd have a little milk and cookies and talk. Isn't that right, Gomer? Oh, uh, uh, yes, ma'am. You both couldn't sleep? Oh, we've been having such a nice conversation. We completely forgot about the time. Turns out we have a lot in common. Well... If you'll excuse me, I think I can sleep now. Good night, Gomer. I certainly enjoyed our talk. M me too. <laughs> Good night, Mama. Papa? Mm. Leo? Mm. Going to bed, too. Mm. Mm. Oh. Well, oh, I guess I could get some sleep now myself. <laughs> Good night. Night, night. When I bumped my head on a window frame in a bedroom scene and literally saw stars, he cozied up to me, reassuring my ability to recover. What a bump rose from my skull later that day. I admired Jim for his great legitimate singing voice and appearing for 40 years annually at the Indy 500 race, singing back home again in Indiana. Something else we have in common, only I sang there just once. Back home again in Indiana, and it seems that I can see the gleaming candlelight still burning bright through the sycamores for me. The new moon hay dims all its fragrance through the fields I used to roam. When I dream about the moonlight on the strange thing happened during a break. Usually actors go off to their dressing rooms and disappear for a while. But how was I to know that the actor who played my father on Gomer Pyle, Oscar Bereggi, would hypnotize me? He asked me to sit at a table with him and told me to hold my hands out. He explained that he thought I could be a very good candidate for hypnosis. And he was right. I held my hands together and was not able to separate them until he broke the spell. Life is never boring. Although my career seemed to be going full speed ahead, 
My inner feelings after Shindig ended never quite left me. There was an unrest erupting inside me. I just knew I had to move out of my parents' home and into a place of my own. I have to ask Donna, every time you eat an orange, do you think of Davy Jones? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Adam, that's a sweet thought. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I would say yes. Mm. I think even even in his in his uh esoteric body mm. that he still he still leaves a very juicy impression <laughs> i like that a lot well what do you remember of davy and mickey and peter and mike from the monkeys and of course i know some years later you did reunite with some of the group at, at various conventions over the years but what are your your memories of those four you know i, f- I found them very professional mm. i found them exuding a lot of talent And I think they understood, now this is not a conversation we had, but I think they understood the objective of the show Mm. and were patient enough, you know, to be, uh, you know, be in the roles that they were given. They worked together so um, synergistically Mm. Mm. that, um, you know, their chemistry was fabulous and they, they really enjoyed each other. It's proof is that later on, I was invited to join them at a reunion, sadly, uh, after Davy's mm. passing. And, um, and I had a chance to, to see them all, and they all remembered me, which was amazing. And um, they were all still very much into being the music makers. Mm. I mean, that was their primary role. I especially admire Mickey mm. for his um, singing ability. And uh, I think he's still up. Well, uh, not during no, COVID, of course, yeah. period, but he performed quite a lot. I believe um, even after Peter passed, he and Mike were continuing to perform together. And Mike is a composer and his son is, is a musician. So I think, you know, when they were put together, it was an incredible opportunity like we all look for to begin a career, Mm. you know, because it's just, it's just far and few between to suddenly be noticed. And then you're, you're in a television show that's successful and in in everybody's living room. Absolutely. And yeah, and I think it's really interesting what you hone in on, Donna, this whole idea of their musicianship, because I know there was a lot to begin with or, or, or during that time in the 60s, there was there was critique of them in terms of, well, are they a, you know, are they a pop group, are they a band or are they a TV show? But they were always very, I think, intent on taking control over their music. And I think this was around the time when you were filming this episode, I think in probably early 1967, and then it aired later in towards I guess the beginning of the the second season later that year that the monkeys were starting to exert more independence and control over their music their third album headquarters had come out where they they were really responsible for the sound the music and interestingly as you kind of allude to towards the end of the chapter is that you were starting to yourself exert um, or assert some independence um, as well as you in your own life. Yes. <laughs> yes, I did have, I did have so many signs telling me that, um, that there was, there was something holding me back and I needed to uh, venture out a bit, mm. um, have, have uh, some sort of an adventure on my own 
Um, I think that's fairly normal. I mean, I was, gosh, I think I was about 19 at the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that that's kind of a normal age. I mean, I hear so many people say, well, I actually knew that I really wanted to leave home by 14, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but, but I, I, I did so when I was 16, Mm. you know, I, or, or maybe 18, the latest, um, after graduating high school, Mm. but I I think it's a, it's a natural progression, you know, I mean, you, if you, especially in my, you know, situation where, where you feel like, um, that there's an enormous control factor, Mm. um, and um, and that you don't really you don't feel that that you can seek your your potential in the environment that you keep returning to and uh, the people that are taking you know, responsible mm. for you. Mm. So I did have that urge, that urge, <laughs> urge to move on, which we will talk about in a in a subsequent episode. But I think, like you say, there's also there's and, and there'll be more to talk about then. But this idea that, you know, many, many um, young people think, okay, it's time to strike it on your own. But you had an interesting experience that you were very much, you know, responsible for a career and for developing a career that would essentially support the family. But then there was so much of that control level. So, of course, this is going to be a very interesting experience when it does come time to to decide to to do that indeed (laughs) and uh, I must say that venturing into communicating with our listeners Mm. that um, we have we have an email question to explore absolutely so we actually, as part of the podcast, have been doing a little bit of video, which we will share with our listeners and our audience over time. So more on that later. But as part of some of that filming of video, we actually answered an email from uh, our listener, Mike Brown. So I'm going to put us over to that email. Today, we're going to take one uh, email from a good friend of the show and a longtime fan of you, Donna, Mike Brown. So we thank Mike for writing in and always listening. Uh, but I'm going to take one of his questions. So I've just got to look at my laptop. But he sent in a whole range of questions and we addressed a couple on, a, on one of our episodes. But one of the interesting questions that he did ask was, was there ever any consideration for you, Donna, to perform as a lead singer of a group, say like the Ronettes or Martha and the Ben? Mandela's or even the Supremes? Oh, my. Well, first of all, let me say hello to Mike. (laughs) Hope all is well with you and your family. Um, I have to go back to the Mickey Mouse Club Mm. as my point of reference because uh, my my dad made the decision when I was invited to be a Mouseketeer Mm. to be part of a group um, to uh, kind of differentiate me and call me a solo I mean it just Mm. came out of his mouth no she's a solo Mm. (laughs) I didn't expect that (laughs) but it it uh it really uh kind of embedded in in my thoughts and um when I was invited to sing with Bobby Sherman uh yeah that was the first time and then you know Bobby Hatfield one other time but other than that, you know, I kind of admired Linda Ronstadt or um, uh, Emmy Lou Harris or other female artists that just, you know, would pitch in and, and uh, sing background for other artists. Um, but 
no, that opportunity never came to me and I never uh, sought it out uh, because mm. of this image, you know, mm. that, <laughs> that I was a solo. And so, so, um, but I certainly enjoyed meeting the Supremes, as you well mm. know, and mm -hmm. um, in any other group that, that I had the honor of, of meeting and it would have been fun. Mm. You know, I often think, um, I often think actually of making a, a recording with a mm. choir mm -hmm. and, and harmonizing with the choir, maybe taking on the lead, but also giving the choir their time, you know, to compliment. And uh, we'll see <laughs> if that, if that <laughs> manifests, but yes, I love, uh, I love a choir sound, you know, that it's, it's just, Mm, I have to quote a new Justin Bieber song, you know. <laughs> I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a fan of his um, it, it, because he's he seems to be so sincere. But he has he has this song that um, he just put out, and it's "Hold Me, Hold Me, Hold Me." It feels so holy, holy, holy. <laughs> well, that's how I feel, you know, when when the idea of having a choir to mm. to sing with that it just gives me the feeling <laughs> and if justin you're listening call us we'll call you whatever uh, <laughs> i was kind of wondering though i know in our in one of our other podcast episode uh with a special guest darlene love you both spoke about and we do have a special video coming up as well for our listeners that we will post uh soon with donna and darlene and myself uh but you spoke about both your love of christmas songs that you both enjoy singing christmas songs so i kind of wonder if there's any potential for maybe you and Darlene to do something Christmassy one day that would be fun mm. that would be a lot of fun probably um <laughs> probably her pattern is to perform on the east coast but you never know that's a good that's a good idea yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, you know, as we said to to listeners, uh, please do email us in in the way that Mike did on podcast at donnalauren.net, and we'd be happy to uh, talk about your uh, your questions and your comments on the podcast. Well, thanks again to Mike for that email. And I do want to remind our listeners that if you do have any questions about anything we speak about or anything that. Uh, you think we might be speaking about in the future, just anything you're curious about Donna's life then or Donna's life now, please do email us at podcast at donnalauren.net. Uh, and we love to get those emails. We love to get that listener feedback. So please do, as well as leaving us a review on your podcast platform that you listen to us on, whether that be Apple, Spotify, Anchor, whatever else, because those reviews are really important to help build the Love's a Secret weapon community. Uh, it's interesting, though. I know in the email question, Donna, you spoke a little bit about this idea of, of kind of being a solo and that Maury had decided that you were going to be a solo and how you did at times, you know, duet with Bobby Sherman or Bobby Hatfield, but were largely doing the solo thing. And it's interesting with the monkeys, you know, in particular at this time that I think they were 
bonding more as as a group that while they had originally i guess been formed as this tv show i was reading a a retrospective of this episode from rebeat magazine and they were talking about how the episode represents this evolution of the group so that they had been working more together they'd been able to engage in in more control over their product and i think that also been touring the previous summer so that they had actually really bonded so when you see them in everywhere a chic chic they're really bonding as a group and their timing and their and their ability to function as a group is really on full display there as well as some of the songs perhaps becoming more mature i think they do an, a song by harry nilson in that episode as well as love is only sleeping which is a man while uh, song just some interesting sort of like parallels between what was happening in your life and, and perhaps what was going on with them as well and i must comment that how many groups mm. stay together mm. And or come back together, mm. you know, you probably count them on your fingers and toes, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And for a, for a group to have been uh, manufactured initially mm-hmm. uh, to be a boy band and function as a kind of a mirror to what was happening on the other side of the pond, um, to have our own American version... Uh, their their personalities and their mutual interests um, kept them kept them bonded, mm-hmm. and enough enough to do these these uh, retrospectives later on, many 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 years later. And by the way, um, I didn't attend, but I was invited uh, to their twentieth year reunion, and right. of course Davy was still alive, mm-hmm. and um, I just uh, chose not to attend because I was, I was kind of in the throes of my, my divorce mm. and it was kind of a tough time, but it was really lovely that Davy invited mm. me to join them in Chicago for a performance. And so 20 years after the show, they reassemble. That's because they not only like each other, but you know, they enjoyed working together. And I think that that's, um, you know, not, that's rare. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is. And, and I think you're so spot on there that this idea that they could have at the end of it all in the late sixties or whenever it started to sort of, you know, come to its end that they could have moved on. and, And certainly they all did other things over time, but Uh, there seemed to be this bond and this uh, something that worked that allowed them to come together multiple times over the years. And I know that I think Mickey and Mike uh, up until fairly recently were still doing some work after Peter and Davey had passed Mm -hmm. on. So, Oh, and mm. something else, you know, at the end of every, everywhere a chic chic, Mm. Davey does a performance Mm. and he's wearing a straw hat and he's holding a cane and he's wearing a striped blazer. And that's exactly the way he presented himself on Shindig before the Monkees. Right, when he, when he performed on Shindig, because, of course, he had had a career in, in Britain. Um, you know, it's interesting that you talk about that, as, as we said in previous episodes, that you, you had done Dr. Kildare, which was a drama, and I think you'd done a small part in Mr. Novak, which was a, a, a high school drama. But essentially the roles that you got around this time were all comedy. We spoke about Batman in our previous episode. And, of course, now we're speaking about the monkeys, which is kind of a, you know, that sort of camp uh, approach to comedy. But then, of course, you know, you also uh, did The mother's, Mothers-in-Law, which was a situation, I guess, which you often come across particularly in the beach party movies of being surrounded by these 
these legends or these veterans of comedy. Um, you know, how did how did that feel? I, I know your mother's-in-law episode, I think, was a, a smaller part, but how did that feel to sort of be surrounded by people like Kay Ballard and Eve Arden and, and people like that? And, of course, Desi Arnaz. Yes, yes. Well, it, it was in front of a live audience, mm, mm. which um, is very much like theatre, even though I never formally had uh, that experience, but that that is the way it is. It's like once the cameras roll, you know, or I would say Shindig's the same yeah. way. Yeah. You know, once the cameras roll, you know, it, it is what it is. And <laughs> um, so it has to work like clockwork. And of course, Desi Arnaz is a great director. He was a great director. And, um, and, the, and the cast was very professional. Right. And, um, and so, it, it, you know, it just worked like clockwork. Believe it or not, I mean, there wasn't that much rehearsal because mm. I guess everyone comes in prepared. Yeah, for sure. And and so there is a run through before and, you know, like a dress rehearsal. And then you're on and the audience files in and and um, and it, it just happens so quickly uh, before you know it. You blink and it's, and it's over. <laughs> <you know? laughs> I can imagine. And, and I guess because you did get so much out of Shindig of, of performing in front of the live audience, I imagine that perhaps this case, while it was different because it was um, acting a role, although, you know, of course, singing involves that as well. But, um, you know, is it, is it kind of a buzz from, from performing in front of that live studio audience? Yeah. Oh, always. Mm. Well, for me, it's always that way when you're connecting, mm. you know, mm. just, just that reciprocity of, you know, you giving to another and in this form, it's a group. And I'm sure, you know, when you're speaking in front of a group that, um, you know, that, that reciprocity and the attention they give you and, and you know that they're listening and there's some comprehension there and, and maybe some feedback. Absolutely. Um, mm. With an audience, you know, for performance, it's always, usually anyway, in my case, it was either clapping. Mm. You know, <laughs> <laughs> let's hope it's just, yes. you know, just <laughs> clapping. Um, sometimes people, you know, stand up. Uh, because they they have a jubilation mm, mm. Um, and yeah it always it kind of always feels like a celebration to me yeah yeah I think that's a really good way of explaining it and you're right you know I get that high I do uh, yeah like as you said either presentations in front of a live group although unfortunately not so many of them recently like everybody else but even doing live radio which I sort of delve into uh, when I talk psychology on live radio there's there's a kind of a buzz that comes from that this is this is what we're doing now it's not something we're recording and starting again it's essentially this is what it is and and here you go I'm I'm going to talk to you you know and have a conversation with you whether I can see you as an audience or whether I can't and certainly when we think of the comedy um you know at this time and, and then you went on to Goma Pyle uh you know I found it interesting because I didn't necessarily know a lot about Jim Neighbors other than seeing him in in Goma Pyle and the Andy Griffith show but something that I, I guess you both had in a couple of things you actually had in common um something I found out when researching is that you know, Jim Neighbors, he's moving to Los Angeles in the late 50s, I think from Chattanooga, I think that's where he was from, um, was that I guess the climate would be actually a better fit for his asthma condition. Oh, dear. Mm. I did not know that. Mm. He's a singer that was exercising his lungs too. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we spoke in the previous episode about Cesar Romero on Batman having him 
having an issue with with breath as well. So, yeah, it's interesting yeah. that gym neighbours sort of had the same sort of issue. And, and then, of course, another thing in common was that, you know, many years after the show, just as you moved to Hawaii in the 90s, he lived for many years in in Hawaii. I think he he yes. uh, was on Honolulu, but I think he also grew macadamias and flowers on, oh. on Maui or it was something like oh that. Oh, my gosh, yeah. you have done your research. <laughs> That's so exciting to to know that he was cultivating, you know, the indigenous foods and uh, and florals that, you know, definitely grow in other parts of the world. But Hawaiian macadamia nuts are, I don't know, I think that's probably <laughs> the, the best location for that. I never got to uh, see him in Hawaii. Like I, I did meet up with with Richard Chamberlain in Hawaii, coincidentally. Mm. But yes, it was it was always interesting to know who was living there that I had any kind of linkage with in like 30 years before. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know about the Richard Chamberlain Hawaii meetup because I know you'd met him. I know. Mm. Uh, well, the, you know, there, it w- there was a design center in Honolulu mm. that um, had furniture and accessories and things like that. And I, occasionally I visited it. And one day there he is. And so I, I, you know, when I saw him, I walked up to him mm. and renewed our acquaintance. And he's such a gentle soul. Oh, mm. Mm. What a lovely man. And I know we spoke about him when we when we covered Dr. Kildare and, and we, we played a little bit of audio from a later interview with, with him when he, t- he spoke about, uh, I guess, coming out to the public many years later. And, and Jim Neighbours was actually quite similar that he came out at least to the, the public. I mean, I'm sure um, his friends and, and probably people he worked with knew at the time, but he came out later in life. And I think he subsequently married his uh, partner in Hawaii. In Amazing. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, you know, for, for both those men and, and, you know, men of that sort of generation who have been either idols, teen idols, people like Richard Chamberlain or, or Tab Hunter, for example, and, and uh, you know, in the case of Jim Neighbours, you know, who who kind of been in a very sort of, I guess, gentle comedy series, to be able to be honest at that point in their lives, um, you know, must have been a really important ability to do so. Yes, just to just to um, be relieved of that burden, mm. you know, of having to withhold a, a truth, mm. you know, and and be able to live honestly for who who they are, you know, and not be judged by people's opinions and and uh, social mores that that have been unjustly kind of set into society mm. based on different religious beliefs or you know political beliefs. So yes, I, I'm so happy for anyone, you know, to, to live in, in, live in their skin and, mm. and be comfortable with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the, and I, I know we're kind of almost going all over the place today, but I think our listeners will hopefully enjoy it because we're talking about some people that many of them grew up with. We spoke about Batman and the idea of Batman almost being a surrogate father figure for many children at that time. But certainly the monkeys or Jim Neighbors or Richard Chamberlain or whoever else were, were very impactful personalities in that time. And and I, I love that story you tell on, on Go the Pile about the man who played your father hypnotizing you. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> that was so odd. I mean, I had never been. Have you ever been hypnotized? No, Adam? I've never been hypnotized. I remember I had a gym trainer for a brief period, like a fitness instructor guy, and he said, "I've just learned how to hypnotize. Do you want me to do?" And I was like, "Oh, mm, you know." <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's 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 an odd feeling. I mean, this this fellow, mm-hmm. um, there was like a, um, a almost like a picnic table mm. on set. And it was a very large, vacuumous, dark space, except for where the sets are, and then they're lit. Mm. So um, so where this table was, uh, I guess it was just a place to, you know, hang out for a minute or maybe occasionally have food or whatever. And I just happened to be walking by, and he invited me to sit down. Mm. And, and he said, have you ever been hypnotized? And I said, no. And, um, and before I knew it, you know, my hands would not part <laughs> till he broke the spell. Isn't that amazing? Just that suggestion and that, um, yeah, I mean, I, and I, I, I'm guessing he practiced this for a long time. I kind of remember years ago when we were first, you know, writing about this, that I'm sure I'd researched that he, he did do this. This was kind of his thing, but I haven't been able to find anything more recently. So I'm glad, oh. I'm glad he got you out of it eventually. Oh yeah. I mean, he, he had the best of intentions. He was, you know, he just, I guess he, he just saw I had a moment uh, and um, <laughs> and that uh, it, and it was you know I mean it's like playing a card trick or anything else it's it I think people that um, learn to have fun in their off time mm, mm. because you know I experienced so many different actors going through their own modalities of when they weren't on set Mm. and and a lot of what acting is i think most people understand is a lot of downtime Mm. in between scenes and um if you have hours well and a dressing room Mm. then you just kind of disappear and um and so to socialize and to be comfortable. I mean, I, I kind of think about George Clooney being a, a, a prankster. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, on the um, the Ocean's Eleven series. You'd imagine putting them all together. Oh, and playing jokes on each other. And, <laughs> and I just heard a recent story. Oh, gosh, what was it? Robert Redford and Paul Newman. Mm. Robert Redford... And Paul Newman started out in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm-hmm. And then they were also doing The Sting a few years later. So they became very good buddies. Mm. And Robert Redford, by then, was quite successful. And mm. so he knew that Paul Newman loved cars, mm. especially race cars. Mm. So as a joke, he found a demolished race car and had it delivered in a bow mm. <laughs> to Paul Newman's place. Oh, I forgot to say, they both lived in Connecticut mm. in the same town mm. at, at that point. Mm. It was West, Westport, Connecticut. And so Robert, so Paul Newman receives this, this demolished you know, race car with a big old ribbon <laughs> tied on it and, um, and, uh, and returned it. <laughs> and returned it but what he re- how he returned it is he had it compressed <laughs> <laughs> and gave it back <laughs> to Robert Redford and uh, you know i mean just to have relationships like that mm. you know that what you see on the screen 
is an art form that you know you relish and and you cherish mm. but what goes on behind yeah. the scenes when there's true fan friendships or or romances or whatever mm. you know that they're that they're real people instead of them just going off on their own and and you know being very serious and then showing up when the director says it's your time you know it's um, <laughs> i love that just that that level as well of of the what the stages of that that not only did he just send it back but he made sure he sent it back yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like that episode of the simpsons where mr burns is keep getting the phone calls about his car you know his car's been impounded his car's you know been whatever and eventually it's like your car's been you know crushed into a cube and then when he asks the phone he's like is it about my cube <laughs> but um yeah i think that's just so true and and you know the interesting thing about oscar berenji um who was a hungarian man and i again i found this out because i deep dived the last few days in preparation for this but he was i think he had a very interesting life that he was at a center of a case in the united states with his family in the 1950s and i guess he would have been a a young man in his 30s but it was himself his father who was also an actor and was known as kind of the Barrymore of Hungary so very really very yeah absolutely sort of esteemed and some of their other family were in the US but they were faced with deportation back to communist Hungary because they'd fled Mm. from Hungary in the late 30s and so I think there was some intervention at the congressional level I suppose uh, in order for the family to be able to stay. And, of course, his, his father, the senior, went on to sort of have a very late-in-life career in, in the United States as a man in his, I guess, 70s and 80s. And, and of course, um, the, the man that you worked with also, you know, went on to have a career in TV. So I guess you never always know what's going on behind the scenes. Mm, well, thank you for revealing that, that backstory. You know, you, you, it, so many people, I mean, have so much to tell and, you know, they may not have the opportunity to express it, mm. but, you know, all of the depth of their own character from their own experiences comes through in their performance. Mm. Mm. You can tell, I mean, there's a, there's an energy that you feel and a, and a familiarity. It's like, oh, I know that guy. Even if you don't remember their name, you know, that face is someone you want to come into. Yeah, your room. absolutely. And they, and they did again and again in all sorts of shows and in all sorts of characters. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting thing about the characters you played though, you know, cause there seemed to be a couple of, of, um, not types, but you know, you kind of had the, the, I guess the all-American girl, which was kind of like Susie, the cheerleader in Batman, and and certainly your role as the Dr. Pepper girl was along those lines. But you often played, I guess, um, roles of different ethnicities, whether it was this one where you're playing in a Hungarian family in a later TV pilot we're going to talk about uh, down the road. You know, you you played Greek, I think it was. Um, at one point, uh, you were up for some roles playing Italian, you know, which which makes sense. I think a lot of people still think you're in some way related to Sophia Loren, but... <laughs> um, that would be nice. That would be nice, but you both pronounce it differently. She kind of puts that that um, that different approach. The but, accent in the second syllable. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah, it's just interesting that you often play roles of different ethnicities during this time. Yeah, well, maybe there's just an international flavor to me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not 31 flavors, but international. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I have to tell you mm. that when I was at a monkey's convention, mm. there was a, a woman who came to me and she wanted an autograph oh. photo of me as a portrait, not just not 
the one that I was offering with Davy and myself. And then she mm. said mm. Um, that she was from Iran and that mm. she appreciated the way I portrayed a Persian woman. Wow. Yes. In the monkeys, And yes. so, you know, I... I, I think in a very humble way, I think that goes back to that comment that uh, we were talking about in astrology where, you know, I have this mm. this Sagittarius um, solar eclipse, which, which I came in with, and it's about teaching that we are all one. And, you know, I mean, somebody like um, Meryl Streep, you know, can take on different roles and have an accent and mm. she's a master. Um, you know, and, and mm. it is it is interesting to see when uh, an actor, female or male, can take on, you know, these various mm. roles and, and, and carry them off. Probably <laughs> what comes to mind, which is <laughs> the most challenging, is when I saw Will Smith play Aladdin as a blue genie. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? That guy, he can play my genie any day. <laughs> he was fabulous. I never, you know, I never saw it. The, the last time I remember a blue genie or a blue gin was, I think, in Michael and oh, Sarah in, you know, uh, I Dream of Yes, genie. well, <laughs> do yourself a favor. You know, I, I actually went to the theater to see it on a big screen because it's a musical. And mm, it music mm. and dance and, you know, it's pretty rare. And La La Land kind of started that trend. And anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. not to get off the subject, but yes, do yourself a favor. And of course, Will Smith is such a great, great actor and personality. Absolutely. He, he pulled Absolutely. it off you know, as a blue genie. Check it out. <laughs> and, um, you know, one of the kind of just riffing off that, that I know we or you often get asked, you know, about, you know, the costumes or, mm. or whatever else um, that you were able to keep over the years. And of course, you had a very beautiful costume in, in the, the monkeys. But do you have anything oh, from the monkeys? I know you do have something. The, from the only thing that I took out of my own personal collection was uh, the the um, mm. necklace that I wore as as a headband? Um, that was a that was a piece right. of costume jewelry that I had um, that actually belonged mm. to my mother because um, I I yeah. mostly wore cultured pearls and 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 I had a locket that I wore, <laughs> but she uh, she mm. had this mm. this costume jewelry and and it kind of worked you know for for that costume, but the rest of it was supplied by the uh, costume department. Yep. And I only had one outfit yep, for yep. it. And, so. and yeah, I don't that's, keep that's a true, pair of boots I, with I, curly mm. toes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not I in my it. wardrobe. The, um, I mean, the, I mean, it could be. You know, it could be where where you know anything's possible. I think, but I think you do. You do have something from the mothers in law. Oh, you? You have that's correct. Yes, there. I still have that. These industrial polyesters are unbelievable. <laughs> they don't. They <laughs> they just don't wear out. It was a kind of an amateur. Amethyst purple, um, you know, A-line mm. dress and uh, and jacket, very kind of formal. And um, yeah, it's still hanging in my closet. Fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, I think we've gone all around uh, these roles, but I think that's kind of the fun of it. And I hope that the listeners enjoy hearing just these stories about those sets and those um, those experiences. I know there was in the monkeys, there was that storyline about them them trying to do away with with Davy by, I think, blowing him up with uh the oh, goblets, yes. wasn't it? It was those those goblets that that when you cheers, <laughs> they blew up. So. And I think your line was something like gold because you had to warn him. It was golden Grecian goblets. Beautiful. Graves. 
<laughs> you've 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 done that beautifully. You've executed that line beautifully. Thank you. I could play that part. No, I could not play well, that I'm part. Well, I'm going to go pack. <laughs> I'm going to go but, pack my my little cosmetic bag and suitcase because I'm getting ready to move out for chapter eleven. What's the use in Yes, yeah.